Section 11 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Concerning Protoplasm, Part 3. The universality of protoplasm as the basis of life may be held as fully proved. Apart from the presence of this substance, life is unknown to exist. It is seen constituting the essential living parts of animals and plants, from lowest to highest. Whale and animalcule, triton and minnow, the giant pine and the lichen, each and all owe to protoplasm their primary vitality and the powers which mark their varied lives. As Dr. Allman puts it in an address to the British Association, quote, we are thus led to the conception of an essential unity in the two great kingdoms of organic nature, a structural unity in the fact that every living being has protoplasm as the essential matter of every living element of its structure, and a physiological unity in the universal attribute of irritability which has its seat in this same protoplasm and is the prime mover in every phenomenon of life. We have seen, continues Dr. Allman, how little mere form has to do with the essential properties of protoplasm. This may shape itself into cells, and the cells may combine into organs in ever-increasing complexity, and protoplasm force may thus be intensified and by the mechanism of organization turned to the best possible account. But we must still go back to protoplasm as a naked, formless plasma if we would find, freed from all non-essential complications, the agent to which has been assigned the duty of building up structure and of transforming the energy of lifeless matter into that of living." Unquote. How much nearer to the great question of the origin and nature of life do such considerations lead us? It is a justifiable query which faces us at the close of these inquiries, as it formed the keynote with which we began our brief study of the mystery of living and being. It cannot be doubted that the research of recent years has at least brought us nearer to our real difficulties than before. It counts for something in a subject like the present, that even the boundaries of our knowledge and the environments of our ignorance should be clearly perceived, and this much, at least, the inquiries concerning protoplasm have accomplished. We now know that at last we are face to face with the final stage in the question before us, that the puzzles of protoplasm collectively constitute the one mystery of life. To such a decision every fact of recent research seems to lead. The knowledge that there is not one life of the animal and another existence of the plant, but that both lives are really similar in their essential manifestations, is one fact which leads us directly to regard protoplasm and its constitution as the repositories of the secret of life's nature. One consideration which merits special remark in connection with the subject of protoplasm and its relations to life exists in the apparent truism that all forms of protoplasm, however alike in appearance and composition, science may and does declare them to be, are not identical in their potentialities. They do not, in other words, all possess similar powers of becoming similar organisms. The speck which remains an amoeba has no power of evolving from its substance a higher form of life. The protoplasmic spore of a seaweed is a seaweed still despite its similarity to other or higher forms of plant germs. The germ of the sponge, again, remains possessed of the powers which can convert it into a sponge alone. 
and the differences between such protoplasmic specks and the germ which is destined to evolve the human frame can only be declared as of immense extent and as equaling in their nature the wide structural and functional distinctions we draw betwixt the sponge and the man of such differences in the inherent nature of protoplasm under different conditions we are as yet in complete ignorance their elucidation is really the explanation of heredity or the law of likeness the mystery why family face and features along with even habits and gestures should be rigidly and perfectly transmitted from parent to offspring really includes the puzzle which besets the real differences between one speck of protoplasm and another and apparently similar speck but our want of knowledge of such points may not leave untouched the primary question concerning the nature of life to which all the properties and qualities of protoplasm all the varied forms and faces of living beings are due on the contrary it is possible by analogy to arrive at some broad views concerning the nature of life at large and to such considerations we may now shortly attend physiology points out to us that the properties of protoplasm and all its powers of being and becoming are resident within its own substance and are dependent upon the energy of which it is the seat supply appropriate conditions and the forces of the protoplasm will convert the primitive germ into the form of its progenitor there is a transformation of force and matter of one kind into force and matter of another kind therein involved such facts point to material powers and forces resident in and peculiar to protoplasm as the prime movers of the changes and developments that substance undergoes as clearly too does the transmission of parental likeness from generation to generation argue for the existence of some material and physical basis for the carriage by the protoplasm germ of the features of the species if so much be admitted it seems logical to deny that whatever properties the protoplasm of germ or adult exhibits depend strictly speaking upon the chemical and physical properties of that substance thus we approach the idea that this mysterious life which no one has yet successfully defined for the plain reason that the terms of the definition are unknown simply represents the sum total of the energies of the physical chemical and other properties of protoplasm nowhere do we find life dissociated from protoplasm and this fact alone argues in favor of the view that the vital force of the scientist or the vital spark of the poet is in each case merely the convenient and summary expression of that high form of energy which corresponds to no one force in nature but to all combined if this hypothesis be deemed essentially materialistic as unquestionably it will be from certain points of view its supporters still possess a distinct coin of vantage and a simple and logical appeal to the facts and phenomena of nature and life as they stand in addition to the pregnant fact just mentioned namely that life requires for its exhibition a material basis seen in protoplasm the mere considerations that this substance is composed of no unknown elements but of well-defined and common substances and that its composition is not ethereal but material support the view that life is no mysterious aura but a collocation of the forces and energies and of the material substances which make protoplasm 
Life is a property of protoplasm, such as the latest product of scientific thought and research. The forces which make protoplasm are regarded as those which make life, and although the exact relationship of these forces is as yet unknown, analogy leads us to believe that they are not materially different, if they are different at all, from those which have made the world of inorganic matter what it is. It is analogy, too, which reminds us that certain forces produce, under combination, very different results from those which they exert when acting in separate array. The relationship and correlation of the physical forces not merely teems with examples of such results, but leads us to think of the possibility and probability that life remains a mystery to us simply because the terms under which its component forces are combined are as yet unknown. In any case, we require to postulate a life force of one kind or another. It remains for us to choose between the vital force of former decades of biology, a term committing itself to no explanation of vital phenomena whatever, and the idea that in the properties of protoplasm, derived whence and how we as yet know not, we find the true nature of life. But analogy rests not here. An extension of thoughts like the foregoing leads us towards the world of inorganic matter with the view of inquiring whether there exist any links or connections between that lifeless universe and the living world which claims protoplasm as its universal substratum. The forces which act upon the lifeless world are those which also affect animals and plants, but the latter are unable to resist, alter, and modify the action of these forces in greater or less degree whilst lifeless matter exists and is acted upon without response. Otherwise, however the phenomena of the inorganic world, despite their sharp demarcation from the phases of life, may be regarded as presenting us with many facts of origin as inexplicable as those exhibited by living beings. It has well been remarked that the growth of the crystal, taking place in virtue of physical laws, to attain an exact and unvarying form, is as mysterious as the growth of the tree, and that common salt should crystallize in the form of the cube is as profound a mystery as that an acorn should become an oak, or another protoplasmic germ evolve the human form. If we are to assume that the forces which rule the world of life are inexplicable simply because they are living forces, it might equally well be maintained that the inorganic world and its ways should be the subjects of similar mysticism. Far more rational, because more likely to be true, are the ideas which lead us to note in the living world the highest term to which matter may attain. As the living world is dependent on the non-living for its support, as we are both in the earth and of the earth, so may we conceive that the forces which mold the world, which disperse the waters and rule the clouds, have contributed in their highest manifestations to combine matter into its most subtle combinations in the form of the animal and in the guise of the plant. Huxley's words are worth weighing when he says, quote, It must not be supposed that the differences between living and non-living matter are such as to bear out the assumption that the forces at work in the one are different from those which are to be met with in the other. Considered apart from the phenomena of consciousness, the phenomena of life are all dependent upon the working of the same physical and chemical forces as those which are active in the rest of the world. It may be convenient to use the terms vitality and vital force 
to denote the causes of certain great groups of natural operations, as we employ the names of electricity and electrical force to denote others. But it ceases to be proper to do so if such a name implies the absurd assumption that either electricity or vitality is an entity playing the part of an efficient cause of electrical or vital phenomena. A mass of living protoplasm is simply a molecular machine of great complexity, the total results of the working of which, or its vital phenomena, depend, on the one hand, upon its construction, and on the other, upon the energy supplied to it. And to speak of vitality as anything but the name of a series of operations is as if one should talk of the horology of a clock. Unquote. Although research has not placed the puzzle of life and its solution at our feet, our inquiries have at least served to indicate the direction towards which modern scientific faith is slowly but surely tending. The search after a material cause for phenomena, formerly regarded as thoroughly occult or supernatural in origin, is not a feature limited to life science alone. Such a characteristic of modern research indicates with sufficient clearness the fact that, as biology and physics become more intimately connected, the explanations of the phenomena of life will rest more and more firmly upon a purely physical and appreciable basis. That life has had a distinct beginning upon this Earth's surface is proved by astronomical and geological deductions. That life appeared on this world's surface not in its present fullness, but in an order leading from simple forms to those of an ever-increasing complexity, is an inference which geology proves, and which the study of animal and plant development fully supports. That the first traces of life existed in the form of protoplasmic germs, represented today by the lowest of animal and plant forms, or rather by those organisms occupying the debatable territory between the animal and plant worlds, is well nigh as warrantable a supposition as any of the preceding. And, last of all, that these first traces of protoplasm were formed by the intercalation of new combinations of the matter and force already and previously existing in the universe is no mere unsupported speculation, but one to which chemistry and physics lend a willing countenance. Living beings depend on the outer world for the means of subsistence today. Is it more wonderful or less logical to conceive that, at the beginning, the living worlds derive their substance and their energy wholly from the same source? The affirmative answer seems to be that which science tends to supply, with the qualification that, once introduced into the universe, living matter is capable of indefinite self-reproduction without necessitating any appeal for aid by way of fresh creation of protoplasm to the inorganic world. As Dr. Allman has remarked, it is certain, quote, that every living creature from the simplest dweller on the confines of organization up to the mightiest and most complex organism has its origin in pre-existent living matter, that the protoplasm of today is but the continuation of the protoplasm of other ages, handed down to us through periods of indefinable and indeterminable time." Unquote. The harmony of these inferences with the doctrine of evolution is manifest. The common origin of animal and vegetable life, and the further unity of nature involved in the idea that the living worlds are in reality the outcome of the lifeless past, 
constitute thoughts which leave no break in the harmony of creation. There is grandeur, to quote Mr. Darwin's words, in this view of life, which founded upon scientific research simply commits its supporters to the wholesome philosophic truth that the ways of all living beings are ordered in conformity with the great system of natural law, whose operation is seen with equal clearness in the formation of a world or the falling of a tear. End of section 11. Chapter 4 Concerning Protoplasm, Part 3.